0: This is Eric Brotman, the host of Don't Retire, Graduate. Our podcast is graduating into an exciting new chapter of its own. We're joining the Evergreen Podcast Network. Visit evergreenpodcast.com to discover new shows and listen to all the latest episodes of Don't Retire, Graduate. Now let's start the show. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that asks you what you wanna be when you grow up so you can graduate into retirement with purpose and passion. I'm your host and valedictorian, Eric Bratman, and we have a guest today who's so remarkable that I'm going to do what I don't normally do, which is read a portion of her bio because she's just just a, a sensational human being. Uh, Natalie Torres-Haddad is a two-time TEDx speaker. I've only seen one of the talks, but it was spectacular. Uh, she's an international award-winning author. Uh, she wrote a 2012 book um, and and won all kinds of awards with it. She's a bilingual podcaster. Uh, host of Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes, which 20 minutes, that sounds terrific. She's an international keynote speaker. She's an educator. She's been in the Huffington Post, the LA Times, and pretty much everywhere that there's print. Uh, And and I'm I'm out of time and the show is over just from the bio. Natalie, welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for having me.
0: We're going to talk today about Uh, about language and about the language of financial literacy and how that's so similar to a foreign language and how it can be so daunting for people uh, when they're hearing terms and words that might as well be a foreign language, quite, quite frankly. Um, But before we dive into that, which I know is going to be fascinating, we're going to have some fun with it. Tell us a little bit about you and how you got to be uh, not only a multi-time author, but I know you have a new book coming out and, and just how you got so passionate about financial literacy.
1: Oh, such a big question. I always feel it's not easy to answer. But um, I think for me, it started early on. And uh, I would say maybe in high school, I, I have a very similar uh, upbringing, like the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which a lot of people have read by Robert Kiyosaki and um meaning i grew up in inglewood california and during the time it's a very different inglewood now compared to when i grew up there but um this is right before the la riots or we call it the la uprising and you know it's a very extreme poverty you know that you see within you know blocks of where you live Um, a very diverse community as well because it's mostly made up of immigrants and i'm myself an immigrant refugee. My uh, family fled uh, El Salvador during the Civil War. And I grew up and went to public school there up until um, fifth grade. And the LA riots happened and my parents feared, you know, what was going around in our neighborhoods. And so then they moved us into private school, my brother, my younger brother and I. And private school and then all of a sudden we went to really great high school, one of the best uh, for um, private school as well. and now i heard people have very different languages very different lifestyles um i'm talking about people that you know kids that were my age but their parents were um you know ceos major company and own major companies i still had remember a friend that her dad owned 12 subways and this was in the in the early 90s and back then 12 subways was basically just starting out and it was amazing um and and you had you know a lot of the people from that school are you know olympians you know, they definitely come from well to do families. And so here's me <laughs> trying to navigate that, you know, coming. And my dad, I remember he used to drive us every morning and back um, at least 45 minutes each way. And I'm from LA, and that's just taking the streets um, to make sure we went to this, you know, fancy private school. And I felt like I became this liaison between what the poor and the rich were dealing with. Our, the way we talked to our parents, the way our parents talked to us is very different. Um, and I always felt lucky that my parents gave us everything we needed, at least the necessities. And then private school was like college tuition. And so, you know, we had very limited funds. So we mm-hmm. knew we were in the poor bracket, you can say, but I was fascinated by how many more opportunities the rich had, right? I was fascinated by how the, well, you could say, let me back up the basic human rights that many of us don't have, especially for black and brown communities, and especially in um, cities that um, have lack of funds, that lack of resources, we don't get those same opportunities. So I thought, how can I bring what I'm learning? And I had so many parents that were just wonderful with me. They're like, oh, let me teach you about this. Or, you know, how how do your parents do that? I'm like, "Uh, my parents don't have a retirement account, or they don't, you know, or maybe they're starting one, right? And so some of these conversations that that I was hearing around their homes, uh, because I was very involved in high school. So, you know, we had after school activities. Um, I'd go home to my parents and talk to them. And I was their translator because my dad didn't speak any English. My mom did speak um, English. So it was just kind of like, I'm learning these two languages at once, right? I was learning how to translate this um, English and because Spanish is also my first language and then learning what financial literacy is. And back in college, I was a business major. I had two degrees in finance, international business, but I still felt like I didn't have enough information on what personal personal finance looked like. Um, I was usually the only female in my classroom, usually the only person of color. And so I knew that one representation was lacking, um, but second, I felt there wasn't enough perspective of where I'm coming from, and yet I thought, there's so many people around me that look like me that just don't have this information, right? And so um, I immersed myself in books and conferences. And back then, this is, and you know this, before YouTube, before Facebook, mm-hmm. you had to pay thousands of dollars to go in person, sometimes out of state for certain workshops. Um, and I would, I usually would get the same response from people and say, Oh, you're so young. Cause I was, I was in my early twenties. They're like, oh, I wish my kids were here like you are um, learning about certain things that, you know, they were learning in their fifties. And so I always kind of felt like, okay, maybe I'm in the right place or maybe I'm just crazy. Cause no one here looks like me or sounds like me. Um, but fast forward 10 years, it really did um, change my life personally and the, my family, really my community around me. So I think that's kind of the power of, of, the fascination around what financial literacy is and really understanding how we can apply it to everyday life.
0: One of the things that we struggle with as, as professional financial advisors and struggle may not be the right word considering what you just shared with us about your upbringing. So (laughs) uh, struggle is the wrong word. Why don't we just say, uh, one of (laughs) the speed bumps, one of the speed bumps we jump over at full speed anyway, um, it, but it, but it is being relatable and it is speaking a language that people can uh, can understand, and it is trying to avoid some of the jargon that really, regardless of your upbringing, there's there's people with PhDs who know nothing about financial literacy or personal finance because it really isn't taught anywhere. And if they didn't get it at home and usually they don't get it at home. And if they do, it's what not to do, not what to do. Um, it is it is definitely a a communication hurdle and one that we have to navigate very carefully so that we're not alienating because people it's Mm -hmm. like someone who's hard of hearing will nod and smile like they hear you but they don't and they don't want to admit that they're that 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 that's a situation or we have we have clients in our office we used to have deliverables and we realized the font wasn't big enough and there were people who really couldn't read it properly and so now we have reading glasses on our conference tables just in case Because that's the last thing we want to make someone feel is uh, just nod and smile, and this will all go away. Um, So there's so much (laughs) to learn about that, right? So, so how do you how do you bridge that, and and how do you make something that is, by its very nature, complicated, simple enough without being um, condescending, but simple enough so that it's so it's relatable.
1: Yeah, you know, I assume. I mean, what you just said, I think it's. It's what You know, knowing your clients, knowing what you know and how you wish somebody would have presented, you know, like you said, having that font or something. And for me, I think it's the way I've tackled it. And while I still continue to tackle it is bits and bits of pieces of it. Right. So and that's something I always tell my students, my clients, that when they're starting to learn something new, like a, I call it the foreign language of financial literacy is mm-hmm. mm-hmm. what well, can you start with one one thing today, 20 minutes out of your day. Right. And um, figure out why you're interested in that. And what happens is when you start learning this little bit of this huge evolving language, um, you get more, you get more interested in other concepts and then also understand. And that's what I always tell, especially I feel like I have a harder time with my younger, you would say younger students. And these are like people that are, you know, recent college graduates Mm -hmm. that to be patient with themselves because, you know, they want to know, you know, what's the fastest way to make money, they want to know what's the best way to say what's what's the best way to invest. Um, They basically want to do things opposite of what their parents did. So they're like, what can I do Mm -hmm. now? And I always tell them, be patient with yourself, because you're also learning as you grow. And um, your 20s, your 30s are completely different Your 40s, another another chapter, right? And so and so forth. And so um, sometimes I remind them like, Focus on what's important to you now, um, which, you know, 20 year old could be, you know, career, it could be traveling, it could be, you know, starting a family, whatever it might be. Um, But just figuring out, okay, what can I learn today, whether it's listening to a podcast like yours or, you know, reading a a chapter of a book, um, you know, taking the time to, now I I always tell people beware of some YouTube videos or certain things. I always feel like they might be giving you the wrong information. And we know this, there's a lot of bad information out there. Um, but really honing down on some of those basic books that were that are helpful um, and picking the ones that are are enjoyable, too, because I'm not going to name some books, but you probably read many of them as well. They look like huge, you know, twice the size of a Bible or something. And, mm-hmm. and, and if someone were to say, you know, students always ask me, should I read this book? I'm like, yes, but it's not the first one you should start with because it's overwhelming just looking at that. And when you start reading it, they go into such um, jargon and... Literally, terms that you just are like, what does this mean? You need a di- another dictionary for it. Yeah. And so I find that important to just say, you know, what can you tackle today? Just what makes it a little bit easier?
0: So it's like traveling in a foreign country where you really don't know a lot of the language. You know enough to ask for a taxi to find the bathroom and maybe your hotel and not much more. Uh, and so you carry a little pocket digest, right, that 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 helps with translation. Mm-hmm. Or, of course, now it's all on your phone. You can you can do that uh, electronically. Now I'm dating myself. How nice. Um, <laughs> how, how, how do you do that? how do you do that in finance and by the way i i hate to do two yeah. questions at once it's a podcasting no-no but i have to your show is not financially literate in 20 minutes it's financially savvy in 20 minutes so how long does it take to get literate if i can't get literate in 20 minutes then what
1: uh here's a spoiler people it's a never-ending process so you're never just 100 fluent um and for those of us that you know have been taught different languages it it's always evolving. I'm and my, my, one of my family members just moved here a few years ago from, from El Salvador to Boston and, you know, Boston, we got, they got the accent. Right. And he's like, they sound no, very different than what you no. said. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. I can't, my, my husband doesn't better accentizing. And I said, well, yeah. And he's like, but on top of that, he listens to us that are from California and he's like, "What is fade? What is you know?" Um, and then I go, "Oh, they're shortening the words." So, and he's learned he knows proper English because what you you learned right. back in school, and, or whatever you want to call proper English. So, yeah, I no, think proper American
0: the, is not proper English.
1: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it's not proper American English. Right? Y-
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so it's, it's the same thing with, with your finances. Um, and it's funny when you said the pocketbook, because yes, you, you outdate our age, but uh, my very 1st saw uh, I'll give you a backstory of my very first book that I did write, it wasn't meant to be an actual like big book. It was just meant to be, well, I started writing it as a regular book and, and then I would asked my friends for advice and I'm like, they're not going to read this because I tell them to read all these amazing other books from great authors and they wouldn't do it. Mm. So I said around Christmas time, I'm like, what if I give them like a little pocket book? And it was just that I wanted them to have, you know, those yellow cliff notes books yeah. that everyone would have back in high school. Oh, um, not me. No, no never. Like- <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't That's know what, what you're I talking about. Yeah, no, yeah. thought we didn't cheat. No, uh, but I always actually love the cliff notes because I want to make sure I understood I was reading, especially as another language, sometimes you're just kind of like, Oh, I thought this is, I I took it very differently. So um, with my first book, it was that I, I, you know, I broke down some of the things where I'm like, these are the five top things I think you should know. Um, These are the things that you, you know, and it was catered for people that are just graduated from college. So I was so sick of hearing, and back then there wasn't as many books on this, on Especially financial experts and professionals telling people my age, you know, millennials or whatever group you are in, um, you know, it's, it's your fault that you're in so much debt, um, you know, or, or you're eventually going to pay it off. And then these are people that hadn't been in college in at least over 10 years. Um, they don't have six figure debt graduating from universities because of tuition is completely different. Now as it was back then, um, mm-hmm. and many of us that are first generation had no choice but to take out a loan in order to finish within the certain amount of time. Because I often got that they're like, "Oh, just you know, pay as you go and you know, work full time," which I did as well. But it was impossible to catch up with my other counterparts who didn't have to work full time and go to school full time and still take out a loan because we didn't have help from our family or somehow maybe we didn't meet the criteria, especially for a lot of non-documented students. That's the reality where it's like you can't get the funds that other people have access to.
0: I saw recently somewhere, scrolling somewhere on social media, some kind of meme uh, that said we're, y- y- people say we're in the same boat. We're not in the same boat, we're in the same storm. And I thought that was incredibly simple, but also incredibly profound. The storm is the same. Our ability to weather those storms, whether it's recession or gas prices or inflation or job loss or any other uh, event really does depend on the boat you're in. And a lot of that has to do with resources, with education, with uh, that safety net that um, you know, to your point, some communities and some families have and others simply do not. Um and, and I think a good portion of the United States is one missed paycheck away from real trouble. Um oh, and that's a yeah. scary place to be. That's a scary that means you can't afford to get sick, you can't afford to get hurt, you can't afford to 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 miss uh, to, to miss a deadline or or and and I think being cutting <laughs> Well, and 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 being on the razor's edge of that has to be an incredibly anxiety-producing thing. And then you throw in, let's throw in a global pandemic, and some economic crisis, and and just for fun, some political discourse that's that's as unfriendly as any we've ever seen. And let's throw all this stuff together and see if we can all be on the right anxiety meds. And I, I feel for those, I feel for those people who don't have those resources. And I and I think you're creating some of those resources and one person can only do so much but i think you're starting to build an influence over um, specific communities that really has a chance to make a difference and reach the masses did you set out to do that or was that an accident how much do you understand the future of finance Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast and now available on YouTube. I mean, I have a you're, you're doing time. it. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, first, thank you for that question. It's um, it's a long sight because there's a lot of hopefulness with it and a lot of frustration that I've had to endure. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, Um, even just I actually have this conversation often the last within the last five years, I started to see more people, especially brown people, black and brown people in the finance space, which is awesome. Um, Latinos we make or Latinx are within an even smaller group. And honestly, when I I had just started, this was like back in 2011, um, when I used to, I started, basically started going to universities across the country and talking. And it was. I was always the first. They've never seen that before, and um, it sounds cool being the first, but it also is not for many reasons. Because, um, well, racism is big, right? And not just that, but it's also just trying to navigate. All right, what makes me feel safe? What makes me feel heard? What makes me feel that I'm valid? Um, and just even before, right, right during the pandemic, I'm not going to mention conferences or being called out on the lack of. Um, representation and equality within the speakers, within the audience, and I had brought that up early on with a group of other people that were similar, you know, similar background, and it was almost dismissed until it was through social media. People were publicly talking mm-hmm. about their experience that they decided to switch and change. And so, um, I always it comes back to what my grandma would teach my mom and I. My mom's the same way, where you know, my mom would say. If you don't see the representation of yourself or you don't see anyone that looks like you where you are, you're still there. It just means that you're gonna be that example for other people. And I feel like that weighs a lot of responsibility, but it's needed. And for me, um, I can't tell you how many times I found myself crying in the bathroom when I was you know, about to graduate from college and then grad school. Um, calling my husband a few times when I was traveling throughout the country, um, you know, and, and speaking to extremely smart, you know, PhDs and, you know, doctors. And, you know, I was like, oh, here they see me. And, you know, maybe they had just said some comments that were, had nothing to do with my content, but you know, I look like I'm Latina because I am. Right. And so the stereotypical type type, and, and I'd call my husband and he'd be like, look, you're not there to teach him about life. You're there to teach him about something you're, you're an expert in. And I think that's something that gave me the confidence to be like, you're right. I'm just going to tell them based on what I've done on my own and with people that I've worked with. Um, and, and at the end of the day, it's, um, and this is for anyone, any of your listeners, like I'm sure they're kind of feeling that way. They're like, Oh, maybe I'm not good with money or never will be. Or maybe my industry just doesn't have, you know, my outlook or whatever it might be. One, you belong to be there no matter where it is, but I hope they tell themselves the way I told myself was, I'm just here to try to figure out what works for me, and hopefully that will trickle down to my family, my friends, my community, um, and and it really does take this. I'm gonna get emotional, but it takes on this life of its own that you didn't expect. The TEDx talk, I have never would have expected that. Um, I would have never expected the books. I would have never expected the podcast, and just everything that's evolved from it. And I have always been a person that I love being behind the scenes. So when I started being hired for doing campaigns and commercials, this is something I wish I would have seen growing up. Um, And I still remember some of All my professors were all white male. I had some really great professors, and I also had some really horrible ones um, that were usually just because they were racist. And looking back, I'm like, I was just a kid trying to navigate, and I always felt I lacked of, like I wasn't enough. Um, And so I was always trying to compete with someone that had you know, 10 steps ahead of me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm barely on step one. And a lot of people feel that about their money. They're like, oh, I'm competing with... Actually, I just had a client last week that told me that she paid $40,000 right before the pandemic. She had this chunk of money that she wanted to use for a deposit on something, a, a property. But the pandemic hit and she lost her job. And so she used the majority of her funds to pay for her rent, living expenses. And she almost felt like she's here she is starting all over again. And I said, well, first of all, you're not homeless, right? And yeah. um, congrats on saving that much, you could do it again. But I understand where she was saying that she goes, here I am, when I thought I made it, now I have to start again. So my point is that I think all of us just, when we start something new, and you'd probably have this when you're talking to different clients, cause you know everyone has different needs. It's just mm-hmm. kind of figuring out what works for you um, why you keep doing it at the end of the day, I keep doing it for my family. I keep doing it for not necessarily that my family will, will reap from it, but that my family feels represented and feel heard. And um, there's a saying in Spanish, my grandma would always say, and it's in English, it's you are your ancestors wildest dreams. Um, and, and it's really hard to believe that when you don't feel like you have much or you're in debt and, and I, when I think about that, I'm like, she's right. I'm healthy. I have my milk when I sometimes do. <laughs> and yeah. so those are the things that I think about um, that really make the difference. And I'm sure a lot of people feel that way when they're starting something new.
0: When I watched your TED talk, I wrote that down, among other mm-hmm. things. I was taking notes. Um, first of all, it's brilliant. And we'll make sure that, that the talk link is in the show notes because it's, it's 10 minutes really, really well spent. Um, you. You, you, know, you talked about, you talked about race, you talked about socioeconomics, you talked about, um, you know, age, we haven't talked about gender at all. And I don't think, mm. I don't think when we start talking financial literacy, um, our industry is 88% male, um, still. And it, it's a, it's a, an interesting thing. I have a daughter who happens to be fabulous at math, despite the fact that girls are still raised to believe they're not, which is bizarre. Like why in the world would anyone be told, oh, you're not gonna be good at this because of something like that. And it's, it's frustrating. And of course it's not true. There's no basis for it um, other than a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you tell people enough that they're, they're gonna start to believe it, right? So there the, there are organizations that are out trying to change the demographics of our industry. And by the way, I think there's progress. I don't think it's everywhere, but I think it's there. And I think there's awareness, which is the first step. Um, we ha- There's no path into this business. There's no, uh, you can't just go get an accounting degree and sit for your CPA and work for an accounting firm or go past the bar and be a lawyer to get into this industry is extremely challenging because there is no, there's no path. There's no roadmap. There's lots of ways to do it. And most of them are generated by who do you know, which is then again, a self-fulfilling prophecy. If those are the people, you know, so, um, I I don't want to belabor this point other than to say that, you know, for a, a woman to be speaking to an audience about finances, she has a hurdle to overcome before she opens her mouth. And i'm sure that's not the only hurdle so you've got a half a dozen of them so you're you're basically running a, the 100 meter <laughs> um it's tiring. And, and to be well yeah and to be and to be taken seriously and you know this this business is white and um male and old and i'm at least two of those three things natalie i'm i'm hoping i'm not <laughs> all three of those things yet although i'm on my way um and i and i think there's It's very important to recognize that the demographics of the business has to change because the demographics of the consumer, of the company, of the world is also changing. And that's not to suggest that people will only relate to people like themselves. That is simply not true. But it doesn't hurt to have representation and diverse opinions and backgrounds in lots of different ways um and so you know we're certainly trying to hire that way and not on purpose by the way i we don't have a a hiring plan at our firm that says we we want this specific demographic we're finding great people and it's a diverse group because great people are all different types of people so i think it's changing i do i want maybe i'm naive am i naive tell me the truth am i naive no, am i missing I, it or is I, this I,
1: agree. I i i'm an optimistic too i i agree i think there's been progress i mean I, I look at the way things have changed as far as access, right? Uh, not just through social media, right? But it's that we see, we are seeing more representation. Yes, they, they're still lacking. But the, the point on like the gender side, I think um, I actually had this conversation uh, with another podcaster where it was, I told him I was raised like a boy. And he was like, What do you mean by that? And I go, Well, my, I'm my dad, I'm the oldest, and it's just my brother and I, my younger brother, and my dad. Um, very much ingrained in my mom as well. They were both feminists before they knew what that meant. And my dad would always say, I expect you to have your education, your own home, travel, and maybe accomplish a few dreams if you decide to settle down. It wasn't, oh, I hope you get married. And I know a lot of women, a lot of girls hear that message at home, like, oh, marry well, or make sure you you marry someone that can take care of you and the family. Um, it, It was complete opposite in my home. And so for me growing up, I remember I was 15, he was telling me this and then I kept hearing it over and over. Then I went to college, I'm the first in my family to do that. And all these other things that I was achieving and and, and basically dream come true, all these things. And when I would meet, still meet, I still do, I still meet women that are well into their 80s or doesn't matter almost what age they are, they never heard that message. And so for me, I always assume it was just gonna happen, um, all these things. And so um, I think when society starts to teach our girls, our women, the same um, um, way of thinking that they can do anything, that they can dabble. And and I think women are really hard on themselves as well, because we're already told we're not good enough or we're not going to get paid enough. And um, we talk about income wage bracket, right? And how if you even break it down by by ethnicity, um, still Latinx are the lowest paid. I believe it's 57 cents to a dollar. Um, compared to white male counterpart. And so the fact that we know we have to work just as twice, um, as hard, excuse me, and to just to get, be seen as an equal, right? And I think it's, it's. I believe we're in the right direction. I believe there's a lot more allies, um, but I think there's still a lot more work to be done because what I see often happen when you do see these trailblazers, when you do see um, some representation, they get burnt out. I, I definitely know how that feels. Um, and we quit or we have to pivot or we have to do something else because it's just too hard. And the beautiful thing is now looking back at, and now I see a bunch of like uh, financial literacy influencers, you want to call them, that are you know, mm-hmm. chunker than me. And they're doing so much better and they're just doing well. And a lot of them reached out to me before they started, like, how do I do this? And and it feels so good to know that I've helped them with it. And and they didn't have to go through that. Like you said, same struggles that we're just trying to figure out when we're changing the game. Um, and I, I think about that. And I was lucky. My mom was, well, she wasn't an executive always. Her story is incredible. But she was basically that from the housekeeper in a hotel, because when they came here, you know, that's all they thought that she could do. Um, luckily, she spoke English as well and moved up the ranks, got into accounting, got into HR, is, has been a, a, a executive for... Almost two decades now, which is really unheard of. Always being the only woman, and I saw that positive role model in my life. And so, when I talk to men and women, I am like, "All of you can definitely um, become better with your money. Don't listen to the stereotypes." and And also, we I come from a culture that's very machi- machismo, um, specifically mm-hmm. Latino, co- Black, and Brown communities mm-hmm. is very machismo. And so, teaching to rewire ourselves and be like, "No, we, we deserve to be equals to have you know be good partners and um, and if we're not good with money, it's not necessarily completely our fault. It's just, we have to learn this, this new way of thinking. Um, and it takes time. And you know that as we get older, it's just, it's more of a challenge, but it's doable.
0: <laughs> well, I love, I love your optimism. Your, your, we talked about your Ted talk, your Ted talk was five steps. Uh, and in the end, it was five steps to determine that you're going to be okay. And I don't want to spoil them because I want our listeners to go and I want our viewers to go watch this. But one of them, um, one of the steps, the last step is the one I want to focus on, which is be patient with yourself. There's so much wisdom in this talk, truly so much wisdom in this. And particularly younger generations have gotten very accustomed to instant access. Children today will never have to know what it is to do. Dial up Internet and wait seven minutes just to connect. If it takes three seconds, they're hitting the side of the computer because something's wrong. The, the, our, our access to information, they'll never have to go to a library to research something. They can do it in their pajamas. Um, it, it's it's instant instant gratification. You don't even have to wait for the commercial to end to continue your show. You, you know what I mean? Like There is no patience anywhere, not on the highways, and I don't have to tell you that being in L.A., Um, there's no patients on the highways. There's no patients in, um, in a line anywhere. There's no patients online. There's no patients on hold. And so being patient with yourself, giving yourself some grace that you're not gonna, you know, snap your fingers and suddenly be an expert at this any more than you would be at, at building a bridge. It's, I think it's okay.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think, um, being patient with yourself is so extremely difficult. Um, and for, especially for our youth, like I, I really think about, this is why they deal with so much anxiety um, and, and mental health is a real big topic right now because they're in conditions since, you know, there are babies to so look at tablets. So there's so many distractions that anxiety is a whole different level. And so trying to figure something out on your own and having the patience to do that um, is almost non-existent. Right. And so, um, you're right. That was the last tip I had included in my talk was because I think one, I'm a big advocate for mental, mental health, because like I said, you can't have one without the other. You can't have uh, financial health and mental wealth. If one of them's off, the other one's going to suffer as well. And because I've personally experienced on both ends. Right. And mm-hmm. what I think about, um, as adults as well, we, you know, we, we, We don't want to make mistakes because we know what type of consequences can happen, right? That it not just affect us, it can affect our families, right? Um, But I I agree that when we start to just maybe remind ourselves, like, I'm learning or, you know, that was a mistake, um, but that mistake isn't regretful. It's just I learned from it. And I always tell students that I say the first place that I bought that was a rental property, I got, I think I made... The most mistakes in that and that could have easily told me never buy another property again <laughs> but i'm so glad i went through all that because it made investing a little bit easier not always it's you know it just depends on the property but it allowed me to to not repeat some of those mistakes and it also allowed me to just kind of figure out what i'm comfortable with right and i think when we figure out what type of patients we're, we're looking for especially when it comes to learning about financial literacy is what makes me feel comfortable? That's why I always say twenty minutes out of your day, because that's how you're learning a language. Usually, you take twenty minutes every day to practice some new terms, some new phrases, phrases, incorporate them in your language, and um, I think goes the same with money. You know, I don't expect someone to be sitting down for a whole hour and do just you know look at personal um, statements and just do accounting. Because why would they want to do that every day, especially if they're not interested or don't know much about it yet. And so um, patience is huge because we're so hard on ourselves. We come from a, a generation where we've seen how much our parents have struggled. Um, we see how many people are struggling now that we don't want to repeat that. And we think, well, if we fix the problem now, we won't have to encounter future mistakes later on. Um, but we all know with age and wisdom how it works. And usually we're, we're, we're learning more from our mistakes as opposed to when everything goes well. And it's it's funny because when things happen so easily, you expect it to always be that way. And I felt from the beginning in high school, I felt like I was this liaison. Some of my, my wealthy friends had no clue how hard it was for others that, you know, had to take care of and and contribute to the family uh, monthly expenses and go to school full-time while working. And so, and then I also thought about those that were poor. They had no idea on certain things that they were making harder for themselves because no one had taught them the easier route, right? Or, you know, things that they could, um, like my, my, my mentors always say, work smarter, not harder. And so those little Mm -hmm. things, I think, um, both areas are lacking. And so, um, it's kind of interesting being a translator your whole life, not just to your parents, but, um, to the rest of the world now, when it comes to, you know, they're like, what does this mean? And I go, um, let me break it down how I see it and then apply it to yours. And um, I, I always find it interesting when people are like, can you explain generational wealth? Can you explain how this affects me? And so um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a big, um, I'm fascinated by economy, just the way economy works here and other countries and what we can take from, from, from the best from each and hopefully not keep repeating the same mistakes.
0: Well, we are um, woefully uh, almost out of time. I, I will tell you that uh, I expect you'll be at FinCon. I expect that if I'm you not are,
1: actually, I'm, you're not going. Not All
0: right, well, not the next yes, time we get a hopefully. chance, the next yes. time we get a chance, I, I want to spend more time with you. I could talk to you for, for a week and a half. Um, uh, <laughs> but I do need to ask you, it's very important, um, particularly since you work with young people and everything else, what do you want to be when you grow up? Everybody gets asked that until they're, you know, uh, uh, when they're kids. We never ask adults. So what do you want to be when you grow up? What's next?
1: Oh, for me, it's... I wanna be a community game changer and and still within the realms of finance. And I know that sounds kind of lame, but for me, it's like, I love dance, I love art. And I feel like there's still lack, there still lacks a lot of that within the content that we create. And I have so much fun with incorporating things like that. So for me, um, it, it doesn't exist, you could say, as that type of job, but I'm creating it as I go. And I think that's kind of the things I've always wanted to do. And I'm I'm still trying to figure it out how to navigate that. <laughs>
0: Well, you're 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 ahead of the curve already, and I, I can't thank you enough for spending time with us today. I do need an extra credit assignment from you, and I'm going to assign one too, and it might even be the same one. But but you're first, no pressure at all. What's the extra credit assignment today for our for our, our listeners? What what can they do today to be uh, better, either from a personal financial literacy or, or financial independence standpoint?
1: Yeah. I kept on drilling, take 20 minutes out of your day. So I'm going to stick a little bit with that, but I want everybody that's listening today is just take one thing that you want to accomplish before the end of the year. I know we're like almost there a few months away. Um, and write it out somewhere that you're going to see it every single day. So then when you're taking 20 minutes every single day to learn something about financial literacy, it's because you're reminded, Oh, it's because I want to buy that house. So it's because I want to take my family on this trip. Um, I feel like our goals are much more attainable when it's something fun, as opposed to saying, Oh, I want to be out of debt, or I want to be, you know, um, I want to have a you know, better credit limit. It's not as exciting. Right. So um, write something, at least that one goal that by the end of 2022 Um, you can accomplish and those 20 minutes out of your day is because you're working towards that.
0: Well, um, I think that's sage advice and I'm going to piggyback on that. And I'm gonna say, everyone should not only take the 20 minutes, but the first 10 should be watching your TED talk. So I, I will make sure that that's in the notes. It is really, really wonderful, um, Natalie. It's been fun. I, I, I could talk to you all day. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your wisdom, your gravitas, and your sense of humor. And um, you know, I hope we'll we'll stay in touch for sure.
1: Oh, I'm sure we will. Thank you so much for having me. Can't wait. And yes, I'll see you hopefully soon in person. <laughs>
0: So, sounds great. I'd like to thank all of you for listening and for watching this week. Don't Retire, Graduate comes to you every Thursday. Next week, we'll have another office hours. In two weeks, we'll have another engaging guest. For now, just remember, don't retire, graduate. This is your host, Eric Brotman. I'll see you next week. Don't Retire, Graduate is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway.